You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome into NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Lance Zerline, and with me is Anthony Beck and Nick Ferguson. On today's podcast, we're going to chat Browns with Ken Carmen and Bears with Rich Campbell, but we're going to start off the podcast with former Saints quarterback and now Saints analyst, Bobby Bear. We are being joined right now by a man who was the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints when I was a young man at Tulane University, and that would be Mr. Bobby Bear. Bobby, how you doing? Doing great. Yeah, getting ready uh, for the big game Saturday night. Uh, obviously, it's the closest thing to a regular season game when the Texans, uh, you know, getting away from the hurricane and playing in the yeah. Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. So, yeah, the season just around the corner. Training camp is basically over. Well, and that's just it. I mean, week three is, is, as we've talked about, is a very important week. It's the most important week of the preseason where everything's coming together. I want to, I want to talk about Adrian Peterson. We just played the highlights of Adrian Peterson. We know what Adrian Peterson once was. The question is, what could he be now for the Saints Russian attack? And you're coming off of a very successful season for Mark Ingram last year, relatively speaking, over five yards a carry. And then you added Alvin Kamara, who is an exciting young talent as well. How do you see the running back position playing out for the Saints? Well, uh, Adrian Peterson is going to get his touches. I think uh, would you going to be surprised uh, not only as a pure running back, uh, the great running back that he is, the first ballot Hall of Famer, but you're going to see him being utilized in the passing game. He's running wheel routes, swing routes, uh, getting in space, and Drew's very accurate uh, getting him the football. So uh, he looks like a natural as a pass receiving running back. Then you throw in Alvin Kamara. Uh, here's a guy definitely, I think, more skilled uh, at the NFL level than a Reggie Bush. Maybe not on Darren Sproles' level, uh, but he's been exceptional in camp. Then you throw in, like you say, Mark Ingram, averaging over five yards a carry, which was fourth best in the NFL last season. So, uh, yeah, I think less of Drew might be more, uh, not being forced uh, to where Drew has to throw the ball, uh, you know, high 30s or low 40s, maybe about five or six less pass attempts and about half a dozen more rushing attempts. And uh, I think that could be the winning formula for the Saints to ultimately help the defense. You know, when they set records in 2011 with that offense surpassed, you know, later, it was like the new greatest show in terms of the Rams and the Saints in 11 and then Peyton Manning uh, with the Broncos. But that year in the year they won the Super Bowl, they had the sixth best rushing attack, and I think Peyton's trying to get back to that. And he's always done it by committee. And, uh, yeah, the three-headed monster uh, that, you, that we've mentioned and talked about, uh, I think they're going to be productive. Now, that little setback with Teron Armstead at left tackle, I think he's one of the top left tackles when healthy. Now, can he stay healthy? Andrews Pete is definitely living up to his first-round billing right now, left guard. Larry Wolford, a right guard, guard. Max Unger, he's coming back from that foot injury, but he's definitely, I look at, I would say for sure, top 10 center, if not top five or six. Then you got the veteran, uh, Zach Streve. So they have a formidable offensive line that I think will be able to keep defenses off balance. And if you look at it now over a decade, Sean Payton, uh, five out of the first nine years, the Saints had the number one overall offense. The worst they've ever finished is six. You know, last year they led in passing. So Saints fans are still expecting the offense, obviously, to be in the top five. And can we get the defense to the middle of the pack 
in nineteen the late twenties or uh, one before last or last. And that's what's hindered them and kept them at five hundred. Where you know who wants to be average? They're not below average. They're not above. They just average, and uh, that shows you the parity in the NFL. But uh, they got the right quarterback to get back to the playoffs. But again, uh, it's going to be with the defense and how they can produce. And uh, the one thing they've done. And uh, to help the defense also sustain drives, a lot of fans don't realize this. Since 2006, the number one offense on third down conversions is the New Orleans Saints. Uh, last year, they were number one. Last year, number one had the most first downs. The only team that has more first downs than them uh, since Sean Payton took over you know, with Drew Brees at the helm has been the Patriots. Most Patriots won, Saints too, so we just got to get the defense better to have a chance, and uh, hopefully that'll be the case with Dennis Allen now uh, getting the defense to look like to play a little rhythm, a little confidence. Bobby Nick Ferguson uh, here. You know, it's funny that you talk about, and and I hear all we, we people talk about when they say the New Orleans Saints. It's the offensive side of the ball, what they're able to do, and we know statistically, Drew Brees and Sean Payton have ranked up high in the top as far as the quarterback and, and the yards and, and passing attempts and touchdowns. But you touched on a very important point, Dennis Allen and his defense. And what we've seen last year, especially in a competitive you know, NFC South, you have to be able to play defense. So are we looking at a New Orleans Saints team once again and say, well, you know, we know our defense is probably going to be on the downside, so we have to go out every single game and try to score at least 28 points a game? Well, uh, and, and that's why I say it's still going to be the same old, same old. I think they're still going to be a seven and nine and eight and eighteen. I don't, I don't think the offense, the defense is going to be that much better. Uh, and even if they are better, the NFC South, uh, top to bottom, have the best quarterbacks. They all think every franchise. They all say, "Hey, Matt Ryan, the Falcons. So we got our franchise quarterback. Cam Newton with the Panthers. James Winston with the Bucks. And obviously, uh, where Drew Brees is at." So all I know is that when you're in a shootout, week in and week out, what do you do? You're going to win one, you're going to lose one. You win one, then all of a sudden, you know, you score 31 points, 32 points, and you lose, or you score in the high 20s and you still lose. Now you can win one, lose one, you can stay 500. So the scoring defense has to definitely improve. And you're talking about the NFC South. The Atlanta Falcons are the number one scoring offense uh, as far as points per game, uh, and the Saints were two. I think the NFC South, that's why I think it would be a great accomplishment by Sean Payton if the team can get to 10 wins. It might be one of his most challenging uh, coaching jobs as a head coach with the Saints to get him back at least to a wild card and get into the playoffs. I think one of the things that's interesting to me is you got Sheldon Rankins healthy and ready to go right now, and, and he was injured last year. But when you look at the makeup of this defense – and I do NFL draft work for NFL.com, so I write all those profiles. So I've seen all these guys on tape. You know, Marshawn Lattimore, incredibly talented, but he had soft tissue issues, so there was questions about his health. And I know he just left practice today. You got Alex Anzalone, who is very talented cover linebacker with a multitude of injuries on the collegiate level. And then Ryan Ramchick, the, the left tackle in the first-round pick, he was another guy who was hurt and had to have surgery after the season's over. So there's, you know, it's interesting because there's a, a decent amount of players who the Saints could be really relying on this season, who have had some injury issues in the background that really need to be healthy this year. Yeah, you got to have luck with injuries, and uh, you also have to have that toughness. Uh, like, uh, for instance, Lattimore, the fans of Who That Nation, we're all frustrated. They practiced against the Texans, and, and, and he left practice because he felt lightheaded. 
Like, what? Maybe I'm too old school, whatever. Bruce <laughs> McAllis and I, uh, the former Saints meeting rusher, we were talking about lightheaded. And I think I felt lightheaded every practice or, or game in my life. And you're talking about going on 15 years of pro ball. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the fans are kind of, they said, well, it's not his hamstring. And they tweaked his knee. So, uh, yeah, they need him out there. The Saints, I mean, look, right now the number one cornerback uh, is P.J. Williams, who star- who's played in two games. No, that's definitely a weakness uh, that if they don't get a pass rush, the back end can't get exploited. Really, the Saints defense, they have two guys that are Pro Bowl players, and one of them, uh, to me, could start for every NFL team because he plays so well against the run and he's in every down uh, defensive end, first, second, third down. Maybe not with Clowney and J.J. Watt and the Texans, but any other team, and that being Cam Jordan. Cam Jordan's a flat-out stud. Uh, now he get recognized more. I think he had 11 or 12 sacks. Uh, if he had you know, with Junior Gallette, they were able when he was on the Saints had two seasons back, uh, like back to back. I want to say they both had double digit sacks. But he's an eight to 12 sack guy. Uh, and the other one, watch out this year for Kenny Vaccaro. Kenny Vaccaro, that hybrid safety that could play in the box, could cover a slot receiver, could play deep middle. Uh, now, what he needs to do to get recognized, can he get maybe four or five interceptions? But Kenny Vaccaro's playing with a lot of confidence, so uh, he'll get paid. If the Saints don't pay him, someone in the NFL will pay him next year, and I think the Saints are ready to pay him. But when I look at defensive, their whole uh, outlook as far as in the back end, linebackers, now they have improved with A.J. Klein, even Matt Titeos look good. But uh, to me, there's really... Only two players that uh, other teams around the league would really desire, and that's uh, Cam Jordan and Kenny Vaccaro. That's giving it to you straight. That is Bobby Bear, former quarterback and now color commentator there with the New Orleans Saints. Bobby, we appreciate you taking the time out to talk some Saints football with us. All right, thanks for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Premium listeners, the NFL is back on TuneIn. With the NFL on TuneIn, hear the home call of every game live all season long. The action starts with live coverage of every preseason matchup on the schedule. Then as training camps come to a close, be sure to mark your calendars for NFL kickoff weekend. Beginning with Thursday night football featuring the Kansas City Chiefs and the New England Patriots on September 7th. At home or on the go, hear the home call of every NFL game on TuneIn. Looking for the hottest hip-hop right now? Just search Hip Hop Beat exclusively on TuneIn. Hear artists like Jay-Z. All this old talk left me confused. You'd rather be old rich me or new you? Migo. Slippery. Won't excuse me. Please me. Travis Scott. What is life I cannot change? In the hills. Deep off in the main. Eminem. We have all your hip-hop needs. Search Hip Hop Beat exclusively on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern Time. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Lance Zerline, joined by Nick Ferguson and Anthony Beck. And right now, we're going to chat about the Browns quarterback situation with Ken Carmen from 92.3 The Fan and the Cleveland Browns Radio Network. Joining us right now to talk about the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Kaiser, the rookie from Notre Dame, is Ken Carmen from 92.3 The Fan. On the Browns Radio Network, Ken. Welcome into the show. How you doing? Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, I'll I'll lead it off, and then we'll uh, we'll have Anthony, and then Anthony Beck is with us as well. Nick Ferguson. I'll I'll just get right to it. Do you believe that ultimately this 
was something the Browns were prepared to be the plan for Deshaun Kaiser to start the season off as a starting quarterback? Or did they actually believe that Brock Osweiler was going to be the starting quarterback to lead this to start the season? Oh, no. I think that, you know, if anybody looked at this from, with common sense from back in late April to now, I think that anybody who looked at that with, with any clear eyes would think that they they were having to prepare that he would be the week one starter because it, it was apparent from when they traded Brock Osweiler, they traded for Brock Osweiler when they really traded for that second-round pick, that they were prepared to keep the pick and to try to trade Brock right around. They tried to pitch him to the Jets. They tried to pitch him to some other teams. Uh, but obviously no one's going to bite on any bit of that $16 million, especially where Brock's name is really mud. I, you know, I tell you, I, I know that a lot of people have looked at him through the last couple of years, and especially this last season over there in uh, Houston. And Bill O'Brien, I don't know if it was Bill or if it was him or whatever, but I've heard he's had a nasty reputation in the locker room, and they've really done a number to scare some teams away. And I think that's what the Browns were kind of thinking of. Well, I'd like the pick. I'll take the $16 million because it's kind of like an NBA trade. But then as time went on and they went through this preseason, they went through the camps and the OTAs and whatnot, it would be the number one guy. They wanted him to be the number one guy. Uh, Brock had more talent. Then they drafted Deshaun Kaiser. Deshaun had more talent than both of those guys. They still tried to let the veterans be the starters. The veterans did not take the job. Deshaun conducted himself as a professional and he ended up taking this job. So I think that he'll start this game coming up tomorrow, and then unless he basically unless he goes out there and gets killed on the field, uh, he'll start week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, hope, yeah hopefully he doesn't. Uh, I don't think he will. He, he's such a big guy. But, Ken, you know, I think the things that are kind of leaning towards Coach Jackson, you know, making it official and obviously anything catastrophe. And I, I would say if there was a three-interception game in the preseason, that could be a mental uh, lapse that you would have to think about going. Really, when you're, you're, you're combining and looking at each guy and what they bring to the table, you know, Brock, to me, both guys have been talked about their accuracy as a passer. Uh, to me, that like kind of cross cancels out, and you got a kid like Kaiser who's got the size, he's got the ability, yeah. and you got the offensive line intact. Mm-hmm. That I think, if you can produce that running game, really gives a little bit more for helping him be successful this season. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And one of the things that Hugh Jackson's going to have to do is make sure that he's he's got confidence, make sure that he's picking him up. And David Lee's picking him up as well because that was one of the things that we were always afraid about when they drafted him was Brian Kelly. Boy, Brian really liked to kind of let him have it right after those games and and certainly let everybody know that it wasn't his fault when they lost to Duke at home. And I think that he was kind of the byproduct of that. And to have a franchise guy, you know, I kind of like liken it to the way that Derek Carr throws where he's not afraid to make a mistake and he's going to make mistakes. And the difference between a franchise guy and just every run of every day run of the mill quarterback who's waiting for somebody else to take the job is that he can see those mistakes and then get you past those mistakes and make up for them and, and end up taking risks and being able to hit on most of those risks. And that's what Deshaun's got to do. I mean, you get a big, strong arm quarterback to go out there and, and complete passes that others can't. And that means taking risks. And that means coming up with nothing sometimes and getting burnt and getting picked off. But it's going to have to be where you're not afraid to make a mistake. You know, they drafted Brandon Whedon a couple years ago because he was a big, strong-arm quarterback and could make throws that other people couldn't. And then he started getting picked off, and then he became afraid to throw the ball down the field. So this is going to have to be something where the running game helps, 
The offensive line, just like you mentioned, helps run that football, and then in turn they're able to let him let it fly. And he's going to have to have confidence in himself, and they're going to make sure that they have to have confidence in him, and he knows it. So he can push the ball down the field, and, yep, sometimes he's going to get picked off by a safety that he doesn't see, but that's just part of the growing game that they have to do. They have to be judicious in this and give the kid a chance to grow. they got to stop messing around with this quarterback crap, and they got to give him a chance to grow. And it's going to have to start coming up tomorrow and then throughout the rest of this season. Ken, Nick Ferguson here. You know, you're talking about the fact of letting uh, Deshaun Kaiser grow. And usually that's what happens. You bring in a young rookie quarterback. He sits behind a veteran. I know, you know, Brock Osweiler hasn't been, you know, that appealing from, from the optic standpoint. But the fact of throwing Deshaun Kaiser out to the Wolves, as I'll call it, you look at the first four games of the season, three of those games against division opponents, and you're starting out week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, is it too premature to put him in? Because we know we've seen other young quarterbacks, and Cleveland has had a laundry list of them, to go out there and just kind of fizzle out because their confidence is shook because they're not playing up to a standard that they may have once played at at the college ranks. Oh, it might be. I, I can't guarantee that he's, that he's absolutely 100% ready. Again, I think it's a mix of the guys ahead of him just not taking the job. Cody Kessler, I hate to say it, he's a good kid. He's been absolutely terrible in this preseason, uh, just just really bad in practice. And he was able to hand the ball off once a couple of times. And maybe he grew with some confidence there, but he's been pretty bad. Brock has not been able to move the football. So, in turn, I don't think that Hugh – because Hugh has been basically given almost a blank check. Now, I know because it's Jimmy Haslam, you almost wonder, well, yeah, what Jimmy says that in one day can be different in the other. But uh, he's almost been given this, this carte blanche to, to build this football team the way he wants with Sashi Brown. And I think that if he wasn't ready to defend himself, I don't think you would allow him to go out there and play quarterback. Uh, I, I hope I'm right about that because you always have to guard against what the owner wants and certainly what the general manager wants. But if he wasn't ready to go out there and do it, uh, I don't think that they would put him out there. And the other part about divisional opponents is if you're talking about confidence and you're talking about actually completing passes, which you just were, then I agree with you. There's always going to be a concern. What we've become conditioned to here is that you went through, what, six different quarterbacks, including Terrell Pryor last year because of injury. Uh, We've become so conditioned to guys getting their heads just knocked into the dirt that people will call up. They're afraid that he's going to get hurt. And I I just, I I know where where people's heads are at, where they want what's best for him. But, hey, the, the Steelers aren't leaving the division anytime soon, and neither is Baltimore or Cincinnati. So, the, the question is, okay, can he do it? Because if you're questioning whether or not he can get hurt, I'm not even drafting the guy in the first place. If they can't defend themselves and they have no place on the field, and you guys know that certainly better than I do, but the way that we are conditioned here, <laughs> as nervous as we get here about this stuff, is that people do people are afraid about that because he's, he's a brand-new pair of shoes, he's a rookie, and they want him to stay healthy, and that means that some of them do not want him out there in the field because they're afraid he's just going to get hurt. You know, it, it, you want to know how important the quarterback position is? We've spent all of our time talking to Sean Kaiser, not the first pick of the draft, Miles Garrett, who has a chance to be one of the most special talents to come into the league on that side of the ball. Um, if he loves it, 
if he loves it, and I know that there are some evaluators who I know who say, look, he's a different kind of guy. He's, you know, he's not the typical locker room guy. He's a very different cat. We've got to see if he can can get into the grind and really love the grind and what it takes and, and become the next Julius Peppers. Because Julius Peppers had that same, you know, was that there were, Julius had that same knock on him when he came out and he got into it right away and became obviously an all time great off the edge. What's the general consensus on how Miles has looked so far? and what the realistic expectations are for him coming out of Cleveland in his rookie season. He's looked completely different than any draft pick they've ever had since 99. He's a dude and now. <laughs> I, yeah, I, exactly, and I think some guys would look at this. I mean, if you ask Doug Deacon, who's, who's the color analyst who's been with the organization for almost 50 years now, uh, Doug would tell you that he is one of the very best prospects that they've ever drafted, easily. And, I, and that goes all the way to Jim Brown. Uh, that physically he looks the part. And the reason he's different, I truly believe part of the reason he's different is that you got a lot of 21-year-olds, and they come in and they say, well, I'm here to play football, and they, they say kind of stuff they heard and remember the Titans, and then that's it. Uh, Miles acts like a veteran. He, he, is, he is thoughtful in his approach. Uh, he, he, he chooses every single word carefully. He does not go out there and, and act like, like a crazy 22-year-old would. He's, he's no Lawrence Taylor in that case. I, uh, I can't get whether he's 21 or 22. I just remember he's a really young guy. Um, but some of the other stuff with him, he's just, he, he acts like a veteran. And I think that that's just very different to a lot of people because, you know, for a lot of early 20s guys, it's football, that's it. Football and partying, and that's it. But they won't tell you about the partying. They'll tell you about only the football. And they don't have much of a, they don't have much of a personality or much of a personal life. They develop that later as time goes on once they've seen how the NFL is. And they get families of their own. Where Miles is is that there's other interests, and I think that scares some people because the Browns have not drafted well. They've drafted guys who said they only love football, and then they only really love partying and, and collecting checks and, and being in the NFL and washing out in a couple of years. So it's a nerve-wracking thing where every decision you make because you failed in it before because it's been 20 years since they've been good, uh, that, that's a nervous thing because every decision there is going to be questioned because you have – an example of failure, and you don't have a lot of examples of success. The only success you've had is Joe Thomas, and Joe Thomas and he have gotten along very, very well because I think Joe Thomas can see a little bit, even though it's the other side of the ball, completely different position. I think Joe sees a little bit of himself and Miles, and for a lot of fans, that's a, that's a relief. You hope that he stays healthy, obviously, but that's a relief and a breath of fresh air. Ken, we've seen, you know, Signs of brilliance from uh, Jabril Peppers, uh, something similar to what he gave us as a member of uh, the Michigan Wolverines. But uh, watching him in his preseason, uh, he's been really exciting. Do, do you feel that defensive coordinator Greg Williams is going to try to find other ways to utilize his talent and skill set? Because we know as a linebacker for Michigan, he did a great job of coming off the edge, creating some havoc. So how, how will Greg Williams incorporate him more uh, in the defense moving forward in the season? I'll tell you guys this. Greg Williams has ridden his ass every single day since he got here. And I mean has been on top of him every day. There were some concerns, obviously, about uh, some stuff that he was if – he, if his head was really in football. And there was questions about him in a party life. And I think Greg Williams has been maybe the perfect guy for him because I think it's been a bit of an extension of college. And I've seen Greg basically dress him down at least once a day where he has really tried to get any of the outside stuff away from him and has almost threatened his career already. There was a time where he had 
he had yelled at him right in front of all of us about him being a professional and him wanting to see another contract. And unless he wanted to go back and be poor, he was going to do it the way that, that Greg Williams wanted it. That was what Greg Williams said. And it, it's a little bit surprising to see him talk to a guy like that, especially when they're professionals now. But to Greg, that's, that's what he needs. And so it's been a bit of a surprise. I want to see what he does at the safety position first as the free first before he starts to do some other things. They got him returning kicks. He's almost broken a couple once against the Giants and once against the uh, almost twice against uh, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, he's had a couple of bugaboos there where he doesn't really know where to catch the ball. But uh, I, I think a lot of ways, yeah, they could use him in a, in a lot of different a lot of different spots, maybe even like a Dayon Buchanan type of scenario like they had uh, in Arizona. I think they might try to do that with Jabril Peppers. But I think they're going to keep it simple for a minute, let him get, get acclimated, let him get his own confidence, and then see if they can, if they can move him around and do some, do some interesting things with him. But I think that that's the plan. But he's a guy who can go away real quick, and that's why he fell in the draft. So they're going to have to stay on top of him. I don't want to go back to being poor Greg Williams. I'm just going to let you know right now. I Does anybody go poor when they're playing at Michigan, Lance? <laughs> no, I don't, well, I don't know. It's not an SEC school, so I, I really don't know. It just in this area, uh, Big 12 and SEC, that's all I can speak to. Hey, listen, Ken, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, and we look forward to – I'm really interested to see what the Browns can do. They've done a pretty good job of maneuvering a bunch of different picks. I thought they fleeced the Bears. I guess we'll find out more about that, and we'll talk to Rich Campbell later about uh, about how Mitchell Trubisky looks right now. But um, – Interesting to to watch how the Browns are, are operating now, and I guess we'll get our our idea if if the money ball process can really work there in Cleveland over the next couple of years. Thanks for joining us today, Ken. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Expanding upon the witty and ironic dispatches for which she is known, actress Anna Kendrick's audiobook, Scrappy Little Nobody, offers her one-of-a-kind commentary on the absurdity she's experienced on her way to and from the heart of pop culture. Author's note. That's me. I'm the author. Featuring a collection of humorous autobiographical essays, Kendrick amusingly recounts memorable moments throughout her life. I'm sure I've mixed up the timeline and contradicted myself, but I've tried to get it right. From a middle-class upbringing in New England to the movies that have made her one of Hollywood's brightest stars. I've changed some names to protect the innocent and to protect my mother from people in her book club coming at her like, that's not how my kid remembers that day in preschool. A lot of things that are meaningful to me didn't make the cut because they just weren't entertaining. For example, my childhood best friend Meg isn't in the book at all because it turns out my mom was right. Those stories really are only funny to the two of us. With your premium subscription, listen to every fun chapter of Scrappy Little Nobody by Anna Kendrick on TuneIn today. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern Time. Hi, I'm Lance Erline. Up next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, Nick Ferguson and myself chat Bears and Mitchell Trubisky with Rich Campbell of the Chicago Tribune. Joining us right now from the Chicago Tribune is Rich Campbell to talk about the Bears and specifically um, Mitchell Trubisky. And, and this is a quarterback that I felt like after I watched all the, the quarterbacks headed into the draft, I felt like he was uh, the best combination of size, arm, accuracy. I felt like he had it all, but here's what he didn't have, Rich. He didn't have experience. And I guess the question is going to be, is a player with so little experience on the collegiate level ready to become an early starter on the professional level it seems like it could be a really difficult challenge early on for Mitchell 
And that's exactly what the Bears envisioned. I mean, you, you mentioned it. Mitch Trubisky had 572 collegiate passes coming out of North Carolina. Deshaun Watson had 1,200 coming out of Clemson. So it just gives you an idea of how much more Deshaun Watson had just been in the backfield looking at coverages and, and seeing things, developing the type of experience that can only be gained through playing time. And that's why the Bears signed Mike Glennon to a contract that included $18.5 million guaranteed is they figured that would be the sort of security net for developing Trubisky in practice. And what we've seen so far is that Trubisky is progressing steadily, exactly like the Bears had hoped he would, but Glennon's not exactly living up to his side of the, the deal here, of his side of the bargain, playing well and ascending in his own right. And that's why you've got this controversy that's starting to bubble here in Chicago. Trubisky's developing, probably not ready yet, but is this coaching staff going to be able to sit back with a 9-23 and record through two seasons and let Mike Glennon struggle? That remains to be seen, but in the meantime, Trubisky has to continue to develop that command. That's the word you keep hearing with this experience context, command, operational mastery of the offense, knowing where everybody needs to be, what they all need to do, when something goes wrong, exactly what it is. He's still working to, to find that, understandably so, you know, through the, the first month right. of camp. Rich, Nick Ferguson here. I mean, you talk about Mitchell Trubisky and the fact of, uh, you know, how more experience and more playing time would definitely help him out. But uh, on Wednesday, I, I read something where uh, John Fox had paid Manning to come in, and I know he was in that Chicago area. And in the article, he talked about how he and Mitchell Trubisky walked off the field. What do you think that Mitchell probably learned from Peyton in that short period of time that could probably, you know, speed up his maturation process? And I, I know, once again, he's still a young quarterback. He still has a lot to learn. But when you're around a guy like Peyton Manning, he can kind of change your life around just by a couple of words and just being around him from an osmosis standpoint. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I went back and looked it up. When Peyton debuted for the Colts in 1998, Trubisky was four years and 17 days old. I mean, man, that made me feel old. <laughs> like, this is a guy that, that, that was well-established by the time Trubisky could really process football and, and, and understand Peyton's greatness, but obviously because of Peyton's career was so long that it's a player that, that he looked up to going through his own you know, high school and college career. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it seemed to be really meaningful to Trubisky to, to talk to him. And the, the one thing that stood out to me that, that Mitch pointed out is that because Peyton was with John Fox from 2012 to 2014 in Denver, I mean, that's not very long ago, he was playing in Adam Gase's offense, you know, at the end of that, uh, at the end of his tenure there. That's basically the same offense they're running here. So there were things that Mitch said he could talk to Peyton about the offense and, and what it could do for him. Don't know the details of all that, but yeah, I'm with you. Just even hearing words uh, of encouragement from Peyton could help his confidence. And, and you know, the, that day when we, we spoke to Trubisky, he was as confident as I had ever seen him here. I, I think he senses positive reinforcement coming from all areas, just from the way he's played. And obviously now that he's ascended to the point where he's getting practice and game reps with the starters, it, it's going one way for him and he senses the way it's going. So just hearing from Peyton Manning on that day as well, just sort of added to that. What's the sense of having, you know, there's a couple things that really 
concern me about the Chicago Bears offense. It's a young quarterback usually, usually yeah, I know. But a young quarterback usually needs to have a good safety blanket receiver and you don't really see that on this roster uh without Sean Jeffrey gone. So I, I I'm I'm wondering what the plan is and you know who's going to be the volume target for for potentially Mitchell Trubisky and then also Dow Loggins, the uh the new offense coordinator. You know, not a lot of NFL experience as a play caller. So a little bit green at the offense coordinator position, inexperienced. Uh, well, I mean, there are players like, you know, you've got a couple of players and wide receivers with some experience um, over there like Kendall Wright but and, and Victor Cruz, who's not the same guy anymore. But what's the plan for that safety net wide receiver slash tight end and then also having a young offensive coordinator as well? Yeah, this is a really important question as we go toward the regular season here. And, and let me back up a little bit there and say, the formula for the Bears winning games this year involves the run on offense with Jordan Howard, who was the NFL's second leading rusher a year ago, 1,300 yards, and then play good defense. So they got to run the ball on offense. they got to take the game off of the quarterback's shoulder and play good defense. And that's really how John Fox has liked to do it throughout his career. Okay, so, you know, to, to your point, absent from that formula is the passing game. And there haven't been answers that are evident through camp, through the first two preseason games. And it's part of the problem for, for Mike Glennon looking to find this spark, looking to generate some momentum and, and earn the, the trust of the coaching staff and the fan base because as the starting group of receivers here has gone against the Denver Broncos and, and Arizona Cardinals in the first two preseason games, these, receiving, these receivers have been overmatched. And, and that's not necessarily an indictment because the Broncos and Cardinals have good DBs, but it does tell you something, that they're not winning. The Cameron Meredith and Kevin White, they're not winning regularly enough, and a quarterback needs an outlet. So, so far through camp, and let, let's just talk Mike Glennon for a second. He and Cameron Meredith, the third-year, formerly undrafted rookie, they've developed an obvious connection. Now, can that carry over to games? We haven't seen it yet. So we need to see more, and then we'll get a chance to see it in the first half against the Titans on Sunday, and I believe that game is nationally broadcast too. So I like the chemistry that those two have started on the practice field. Can it carry over? Still have questions. Kevin White, seventh overall pick in 2015. He needs to be that guy. He was drafted to be that outlet for the the quarterback, whoever it was, Jay Cutler at the time, and even – the Bears could foresee Alshon Jeffrey leaving, so now it was supposed to be Kevin White's time. Well, he's got 19 catches in his career through two seasons, two injury-ruined seasons, broken left leg in each. So we haven't seen White playing fast, haven't seen him separating consistently, and he talks about the need to think less, play more naturally, play faster. That's a process that's still ongoing. So I'm with you. They have questions at receiver. We could even go to the tight end position, Zach Miller, is still playing at a high level at age 31. He's got an extensive injury history, so the Bears are hoping he stays healthy, but he's a guy who can score for them, and he's going to be another player for them as well that the quarterback has to lean on. That's Rich Campbell from the Chicago Tribune talking some Chicago Bears football. And, of course, the answer to the Mitchell Trubisky question will not be uh, – we won't have an answer for, for a few years to find out exactly who he is and what he is. But I'm sure GM Ryan Pace is hoping he gets off to a good start so he can continue to try to build around that draft from last year. Because there are a couple of uh, – we got to go, but, I mean, Tariq Cohen and Adam Shaheen, there's a couple of small school, very interesting prospects that I, I kind of like who the Bears grab. So I think it's – 
potentially an interesting draft that the uh, the Chicago Bears had. Rich, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you joining us here on NFL No Huddle. My pleasure, guys. Enjoy the games this weekend. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.